Welcome to First Rung, a stuff-homed podcast brought to you with support from Rosine. I'm reporter and would-be homeowner Kylie Klein-Nixon, and we're just about at the end of this wild ride to home ownership. In the last episode, we got ourselves a lawyer and did our due diligence with diligence. In this episode, we're ready to pick up the keys and move in, after drawing up a budget we can stick to. To help us with that, I catch up with the debt-free diva herself, Tracy Hemingway, who scrimped, saved and fought her way back from massive debt to become a money-saving guru with first home dreams of her own. I actually sat down the other day to list out what I had done and pretty much you name it, I've done it. Then the moving company's Matthew Woodley gives us an insider's guide to a pain-free moving day. The more you do early on, you know, the less stressful the process is. Finally, we get the lowdown on what really happens on settlement day from property lawyer Thomas Biss. We go through thousands a year and virtually everyone finishes on time on the day, but there are sometimes a few issues and arguments you have. So grab some packing boxes from the supermarket and pop a bottle of champagne on ice. We're almost there. But first, take a listen to this. I'm real estate agent Ben Atwell and this is your insider's guide to house listings. Up and coming neighbourhood. Get in your car and head straight to the property. As a first home buyer, this is your chance to get ahead of the game. Too many times I meet first home buyers determined to move into desirable suburbs, but unless you're one of those million dollar millennials who struck gold on Instagram, you're not going to be able to afford it. But some of those hot suburbs started out as up and coming. So roll up your sleeves, get your nose out of the air and hop off that high horse because opportunity is banging down the door. After a failed business landed her in massive debt, Tracy Hemingway faced a terrible choice. File for bankruptcy and lose everything, including her beloved pet, or soldier on and keep her dog. She chose the dog, of course, in an epic battle with debt that saw her pay it off in record time. Now the debt-free diva is a frugal money-saving powerhouse who offers guidance and advice for blasting debt and saving fast. I opened my company when I was 18. I didn't have a lot of guidance at the time. I was making really silly money mistakes. So at the age of 24, I had all this debt. So I had $94,000 worth of consumer debt that I had personally underwritten. So even though the company went into liquidation, I still had to pay it off. So they told me it was going to take me 16 years of living bare bones. Oh, my God. And I did it in three. That's just amazing. (laughs) It's so good. Yeah. You were at one point, I think, doing something like four jobs. Seven. So I had seven jobs as a high. <laughs> wow. I could barely manage one. <laughs> yeah. It, um, time management is definitely a strong point of mine. Yeah. So I, I had to become financially savvy very quickly, very, very quickly. Mm. I had to learn how to budget. I had to learn to live well, well, well below my means. I had to learn how to increase my income and obviously look at every single cent I was spending and deciding mm. if that's if I actually wanted to spend it or if it would be better to go on my debt. So tell, tell me through sort of the sort of things that you would do. Like are you talking about living off baked beans and <laughs> and what were some of your some of the additional jobs you were doing? Like you call them side hustles. Yes. So I never lived off just baked beans. So I, I actually eat very healthily. Um, I limited myself to $40 a week groceries and it was always a challenge to try and get my grocery bill under that. 
I definitely shopped the specials, definitely went at times a day when there were more reduced to clear options. Right, right. I actually post on my Instagram my menu for each week and you can very clearly see that I don't don't live off white bread and baked beans, which is what (laughs) most people assume. No, yeah, I saw one of your veggie shops just the other day on Facebook and it's, you know, there's plenty of fresh veg, lovely pieces of meat. It's a really nice diet, yeah. Yeah. Even though it's it's only 40 bucks a week or 50 bucks a week, yeah. Yeah, well, um, unfortunately with cost of living uh, being risen, <laughs> I now have mm-hmm. about $50 a week for groceries. Right. But then on top of that, I moved into a flat. So I was living in a flat with other people. Um, so that was significantly decreased my rent. I sold my old BMW car and bought a Suzuki Swift. So that tremendously decreased car costs. Um, I just made lifestyle decisions that would help my debt-free journey more. So I just looked at Mm. every cost. And then obviously, um, as you say, I picked up the side hustles. So I actually sat down the other day to list out what I had done and pretty much you name it, I've done it. So one Christmas, I was a professional gift wrapper. I've done dog walking, babysitting. I've hosted speed dating events, Uber Eats, delivery, lime juicing, courier driver, you name it. <laughs> <laughs> now, by lime juicing, you mean charging lime scooters, not, yes, not yeah. juicing <laughs> citrus, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure if there was a side hustle to juice fruit, I'd do that too. But... <laughs> That's not what I meant. <laughs> yeah. Listen up, citrus farmers. Yeah. She's waiting for your call. A hundred percent. That was a crucial part of it too, wasn't it? Just increasing your earnings by any any means that you could to do that. Yeah. And so when I talk to people about side hustles, I often get asked the question, is it worth it? I fully understand that some side hustles are not a huge return on time investment. However, for me, I just needed the money so you're now in a situation where all the extra that you earn is going into your savings and towards your next big goal, buying a house of your own yes. and saving up for your deposit. So tell me a little bit about how you budget your for, for saving for that deposit, because I think that's something people really struggle with the idea of. But obviously, if you can pay off 94K in three years... There's a way there's a way to save a deposit for a house. Yeah, well the biggest piece of advice I've got is make sure that you pay yourself first, essentially. A lot of people will make the mistake that they have their budget, they pay for all the things that they they need, then they pay for all the things that they think they need, and then they pay for all the things that they want, and then they put the extra into house savings, which right. equates to not a lot. Mm. So for me, I pay for all the things I need, then I pay for my savings goal, and then I look at the things I want. (laughs) So the goal for me is more important than all the additional extras. So making sure you pay yourself first and keeping track of that and then putting additional money into that savings goal as well. Because house deposits these days are phenomenal. They it, mm. gone are the days where you can get a house with five thousand dollars in the bank and a few KiwiSaver. So yeah, making sure that you have as much capital behind you, as much savings, is awesome. So I'll do things like when I go grocery shopping, say I don't reach my full budget for the week, I'll transfer the rest of that money into my savings account rather than just right. spending it on other things. So it's the pennies that kind of add up. Do you kind of treat it like a game in a way? Like a hundred percent. Yes. 
Yeah, you have to do that, otherwise it would be a little bit too strict, I feel. Do you ever feel like you're being too hard on yourself? No, I mean, I still budget for fun. So I still do Mm. dancing classes. I still get coffee with friends. I still go out for lunch and dinners, but I'll do it once a month as opposed to every week or so. Right. Um, And it's also about your tribe, the people that you have around you and them understanding your values as well. Because if you say to your friends, hey, I'm saving for a house, I'm going to be really frugal with my money, I've only got a certain budget for doing X fun things a month, then my friends, for example, know that. So they won't ask me last minute to go, I don't know, out to town for a $300 night on some drinks. Yeah, that's something you have to either plan for or say no to. Yes. New homeowners face all sorts of bills they may never have paid or even known about before. How do they budget for that? To work out what kind of mortgage she can afford, Tracy's already put her homeowner budget together, including rates, insurance and repairs. So most people will go gung-ho, put 50-60% of their income on a mortgage and forget about the extras. Mm-hmm. So I worked it backwards. I worked out what all my extras would be based on the area I want to live in. And then whatever was left over was how much I could spend on my mortgage each month. Wow. And so has that impacted on, on on where you've chosen to live? Like, did you think, right, I want to live in Ponsonby, but actually I'm going to have to live down the road in, I don't know, Auckland at all, but... Um, yes, obviously with house prices in <laughs> different places. Oh, well, yeah, I mean, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but that's okay, because once you're on the property ladder, then you can make a plan on how to get into your dream house. Or you can just mm. try and save a bit more to until you've got the deposit you need to get into your dream house while keeping your mortgage relatively small. So what is your um, sort of price range that you're looking at for a house in? Uh, between five hundred and six hundred thousand. and 600000 So I actually live in Hamilton. Right. I know Auckland house prices are a lot more I know than that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> very, very, very scary prices there. But once again, yeah. if you can find out a way to make it work for your budget, by working backwards, because once you know how much you can spend per month on a mortgage, then you can work out how much deposit you need, and then you can work out how much you need to save, and then once again, working backwards, that's how much you need to pay yourself mm. in your current saving each month or week. How often do you look at like house prices and stuff and look at how how much more you might need to adjust or change? I mean, is that like an ongoing thing? Yes, every month. Right. Yeah. So when I'm planning my budget for the month ahead, I'll definitely look at the movements around the areas I want to buy and see how much that fluctuates. And then that will then obviously depend on how much I'm going to put aside each month and how much mortgage I'm going to need, et cetera, et cetera. How far off are you from from that deposit? I'm actually starting a new job next month. Yay. So (laughs) it'll be another six months um, of the new income before I can get a mortgage. So you can start looking around. Yeah. So it'll be six months time. I'll start looking. That's fantastic. Best of luck for that. Thank you. Thank you so much for your advice today. I think it's a lot of hard work, isn't it? Yes. That is one thing I do say to people that the journey is hard, but it's so worth it. Financial freedom. I didn't realize how much it meant to me until I'd paid off that debt and the feeling I had. Yeah. 
Oh, congratulations and um, best of luck with your house hunting in the future. Thank you. When it comes time to put your mark on your first home, check out Resine for the professional advice you need for your decorating projects. In the dictionary of terms next to where there's a will, there's a way, is a full page picture of Tracy giving a big thumbs up. Not everyone can do seven jobs, but if you have the energy for it, you can smash debt and bolster your savings one buck at a time. I spoke to Tracy again recently and she's already got a meeting with a mortgage broker lined up. The woman is a powerhouse. Once she finds a place she can afford and signs on the dotted line, she'll be looking at settlement day. And what settlement day? Good question. To find out, I checked in with someone who's handled heaps of them, property lawyer Thomas Biss. So the key thing that really happens on a settlement date is the vendor hands over the keys and ownership and the purchaser hands over the money. That happens through the lawyers. That's quite mundane, but it's it's the path of how you get there and just checking that you're getting the right thing and paying the right amount of money. Yeah, so, so what boxes do you have to have checked before you get to that stage? So the purchaser has to have, have their finance documents. They've got to have their money. The bank will give them loan documents and, and agree a mortgage over the property. So we as lawyers, we get the, the money from the bank and you've probably got a KiwiSaver or um, some money from your parents or mm-hmm. um, emptying out your, your piggy bank to make sure that you've got your own contribution for the purchase as well. Mm. So collecting all that money in one place. For the vendor, you've got to make sure that you're getting enough money in that your bank is going to allow you to uh, sell the property and discharge the mortgage. And again, your lawyer gets that confirmed. And so on the day, hopefully there's no surprises there. But the banks only tell you on close to the event precisely what they're requiring. And hopefully you know, but sometimes there are surprises if there's a business loan involved or someone else. So that's why why it's best that the lawyers are handling all that stuff, is it? Yeah, a lawyer or a conveyancer. It's actually very hard to transfer a property without using a lawyer or a conveyancing practitioner. Not Not impossible. But technically quite difficult. You know, we do probably a couple of thousand land transfers a year. And I think I've dealt with one person who did it on their own in the last three or four years. So so it's really not very common at all. Right. So what will you receive on the day so that you know that that's all happened? Will it just be the nod from your your lawyer and their lawyer and some keys? Who actually hands you the keys? How does that stuff all happen? The keys normally are held by the real estate agent. You used to get a nice piece of title, which came complete on what was called goatskin, very formal old bit of paper that had been passed around through numerous grubby lawyers' offices over the years. (laughs) Nowadays, you get an electronic register, so it'll be a piece of paper, a a record of title, and it's just a photocopied piece of paper, basically. Right. But it will have your name on it, and it's a formal record. And then once the vendor's lawyer gets the money, they tell the real estate agent, yep, we've got the money and the, the agent releases the keys. And then you've got the keys and you're on your own. <laughs> uh, yep, and then you've got mortgage payments and uh, rates and, <laughs> and rates bills. And rates and insurance and, 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 and... Yep, all of those joy, joyful events. Yep. the joys of home, home ownership. Yep. So is there anything else, any tips or sort of advice you can give people for, for making their way through that day successfully? Yeah, it's about 
um, preparation, if it's the first time you're through this, trying to understand that process and be ready for it. We go through thousands a year and virtually everyone finishes on time on the day. Mm. But there are sometimes a few issues and arguments you have on a settlement day um, about whether the house is properly cleaned or whether all the appliances work. So it's it's preparing and thinking what, what, what you're going to do on the day, when do you need to move in, what is it you're expecting from the property, and, and just knowing what you want. Right. So what, what happens if you've arranged that it will be clean when you move in, but you, you get the keys, everybody says, congratulations, see you later, you walk in the door and it's an absolute pigsty or... So the day before settlement, you should have done what's called a pre-settlement inspection, which is you go and look at the property and just check that it's in the condition you were expecting. Um, things can happen between when you signed the agreement and the settlement day. If it was tenanted, the tenants might have moved out and, as you say, left it a tip. Mm-hmm. Or you know, might even have burned down or there might have been a flood or all sorts of things. Um, windows smashed. What you are buying is the house as it was when you agreed to buy it. made the agreement, right. Yeah. So changes that have happened since then, you're not responsible for. So if an appliance is broken in that time, it's, it's likely that the vendor has an obligation to put it right. Not guaranteed. Um, you know, the, the, there's issues there. Um, they can get complex. But broadly speaking, that's what you're buying. Right. You, you'd have recourse to go back to your lawyer and say, can, can you we, yes. follow this Can up? we yeah. put this right? The, the oven's not working or the, the ranch slide has been smashed. Those sorts of issues, yes, you get the chance to, to get those as it was when you agreed to buy it. The cleanliness is a difficult one. As, as my wife would tell you, she and I um, have very different ideas of what clean looks like. <laughs> um, unless you stipulate it in the agreement, there is no obligation for the house to be left clean. Um, right. Most people do out of common decency. But I think really the base level requirement is, is it vacant? People can have very different ideas about what's okay to leave behind. So Thomas says it's better to be clear up front if the weird corrugated iron art in the front yard or the retaining wall made out of old tyres isn't going to work for you. Leaving rubbish and unwanted items in the house is one thing, but what if you're buying a former rental with tenants who refuse to move? If someone's living in there, you can't. the vendor can't settle. They can't deliver what's called vacant possession. Right, so you just have to go back to the drawing board or... Well, the, the agreement pushes us to settle and there's penalties if you don't settle on time. So that will get very complicated and, and expensive for somebody quite quickly. Right. Who? The vendor? The vendor? Yeah. Yeah, so the vendor, there's, there's always a, a penalty interest provision in an agreement and... Suddenly, interest and costs will be start payable by the person who's not able to settle. Right. Typically, those are running at um, ten to fourteen percent. That can be depending on the price of the house. You know, five hundred to thousand dollars a day or more. Yeah, that can get that, ugly that pretty gets, quick. That that does, and then there's costs as well. You know, if you're sitting outside with a moving truck expecting to move in, but virtually never happens. Does happen, but really not very often. Right. Um, people don't sign an agreement to sell unless they've really thought about it. Thomas says the main thing to remember is when in doubt, ask. It's easy as, as a lawyer to just assume people know what's going on in an agreement. If you're not sure, ask. There's a deposit to pay. You know, Ask what happens and when it gets paid. Mm. You know, th- There are stupid questions, but on the other hand, it's much more stupid not 
to ask right. yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. and be persistent and say, look, actually, yeah, sorry, I'm asking a silly question, but can you explain to me what happens and, and what I need to do? Mm. Don't be shy. Um, lawyers, we can be grumpy, but we're also um, <laughs> quite quite used to dealing with things and, and, try, and it is our job to explain. Right. So I think that's important. But also then sometimes you need to tell the lawyer what, what you're doing. And so finance is the big one. I think that people sort of assume that the lawyers will know, but we don't know if you're using your KiwiSaver unless you tell us. Right. Um, a lot of people do use KiwiSaver now, but there's, there's, there are timeframes. The KiwiSaver providers require 10 working days before they'll make a payment. So if you're needing to use it, you need to tell us well in advance. Ah, right. Okay. That, that is crucial information. <laughs> so, yeah. so it's those sorts of things that can trip people up. But it's a well-trodden path, mm. and it's very rare that someone ends up owning a place that they didn't mean to. So tell me, on settlement day, how much is that going to – because that's going to have a cost in itself, isn't it? You've got two lots of lawyers doing stuff for you. If it's a simple purchase, and a simple purchase is an existing title with a couple buying a house together just in right. their names, you know, we'd be charging normally around $1,400, including GST and disbursements. But that can get more quickly. There's not a lot of legal time involved in that. Right. That's assuming everything goes ahead and settles on the day without any complications. That's really just the settlement process. Right. If you're looking at a complicated title with dozens of things registered on it, then people have to think. And, and at the point at which someone's having to think, everything gets more expensive. Gets more expensive. Where else would you advise people to go to get advice if it's not necessarily your lawyer? Citizens Advice is a good organisation, and, and that's that's a sort of triage process. There's, there's a lot of neighbourhood law officers around, again, who can give some sort of generic advice. Lawyers give a lot of free advice on the phone, actually. Mm -hmm. The agents will know a fair bit about what's to happen in a transaction mm, right. and can talk through a process as well. That's part of the service they provide. They provide, right, right. So how much is this call going to cost me? <laughs> I forgot to I forgot you to forgot ask. To ask that, I forgot but, to but ask that. And, and again, as I say, that's fine. I'm I'm happy to talk to people. Oh, thank you so much for your advice today. That's actually made what seemed like a very difficult process a lot more clear to me. Thanks so much. Okay, that's fine. Your insider's guide to house listing. Quaint. Ugh. With this most overused adjective in the real estate industry, the agent is trying to suck you right in the emotions, hoping that it will lift the value. There's no hidden meaning to it. They're just trying to leverage on the fact that your friends are absolutely going to love it and you'll be the envy of every other house hunter out there. But beware, you're going to have to pay for it. A huge wad of cash has just passed through your bank account as if it was never there. In its place is a ring with a couple of the most expensive keys you've ever owned on it. Pretty good trade-off if you ask me. Now all that's left is to move in. But it's not going to be as easy as moving into a rental where someone else might have sorted out the power or arranged to have the place cleaned. This time, it's all on you. So here's the moving company's Matthew Woodley with some tips on how to make your moving day go swimmingly. Sort of one of the best tips I can um, give would be to start the process early. You want to start planning and thinking about the move as soon as you know you will be moving, especially coming into summer when it's the um, peak season. 
you really want to start the planning process as early as possible. Right. One of the first sort of steps you want to think about is what actually you're going to be moving, what you're going to decide to sell or give away to family or friends. Right. Good time to have a clear out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, take the opportunity to have a clear out, have a garage sale, you know, list stuff on the Facebook marketplace if you don't want it. Ask family and friends if they're interested in anything. The more you do early on, you know, the less stressful the process is. Setting up services at your new place can be kind of a complicated process. When should you start doing that sort of stuff? There's actually a couple of great websites that help you with that process. One's called Fast Connect and another's called MoveMe. And they'll actually um, manage that process for you. They'll liaise with your utilities and um, they can even offer you better deals than you may be with for like broadband, power. So I definitely recommend taking advantage of those free services. Right, so that's MoveMe, M-O-O-V-M-E. That's the one. .co.nz, isn't it? Yeah, I'll I'll pop that in the show notes. And Fast Connect's the other one. Sort of one-stop shop um, for change of address. What are some of the organisations or government agencies and businesses you need to remember to let know about your move? Will will those sites sort those all out for you or give you a list? Yeah, I would recommend still making, I would go to the New Zealand Post, they have a change of address tool. Another one is let the IRD know, update your address. Mm. And then you can often with banks, you can even go online and change your address through your online banking. Those sort of like, you know, personal finance ones, you want to get that sorted yourself. But with utilities, right. those other you know, providers can um, look after that for you. So let's talk about moving day. What are some of the key things you can do to make that day go smoothly for yourself and your family? Yeah, it's important to have a plan in place. One of the common um, issues we're seeing creep up at the moment is people trying to move on settlement dates where they'll you know, move in and they may not have the keys to the house till quite late in the afternoon. Right, because settlement day... Yeah, it doesn't happen swiftly. No, not always. It's not always smooth sailing. So I'd recommend you really move this the following day. You know, you may be promised to have the keys at one, one o'clock in the afternoon, but it just doesn't always seem to um, work that way. Make sure when you discuss your moving dates with the moving company that you are um, not moving on settlement day and um, you've got a plan, you know, maybe you go into a local, you know, motel or hotel for that night. So, you know, get packed up and loaded on the first day. And then on the next day, you know, after settlement day, you move in and it's a lot less stress. Oh, right. And so so sorting all your mail out before you you head over there. Also gives you a bit of time to get in there and give the house a clean if you need it, doesn't it? Yes, absolutely. People often forget about exit cleans. And yeah, you want to be prepared um, and sort of know, you know, have a realistic time frame in mind. A lot of people sort of, you know, maybe try and do too much all in the one day. And that can be quite a stressful process. So you'll likely have been a good tenant and you've defrosted your freezer and given your old place a good clean, sorted out your mail and all that stuff. But what should you be doing at your new house before you move in? I would allow, you know, allow enough time to get in ahead, give the house a good clean, have a think where you want the furniture items placed, check the access as well. It's important to make sure that you know, if, if the driveway is wide enough for the moving truck to get through, there's no overhanging trees um, low-hanging power lines, mm, that kind mm. of thing, that can often you know delay the move-in process. So if you've got any large pieces of furniture, should you have been measuring doorways and stuff like that beforehand as well? Yes, that is a good idea. You want to make sure you've got, you know, the access is good and, you know, the items that you're looking to move can actually all fit through the doorways and entranceways. Always pays to plan ahead. Right, yeah. So say you've got like a giant couch. How much can a moving company help you with things like that? Like, will they help you put things through windows or... Do you have to organize that stuff ahead of time with them? Yes, it can be tricky. When you um, are getting your moving quotes, insist on a pre-move survey where one of the move consultants will come to your residence free of charge and um, actually go through and prepare an inventory listing. They'll look at each individual item, 
And if there's any issues, you know, if there's any, you know, pianos, pool tables, sparkles, that kind of thing, they'll um, be able to put, put a plan mm-hmm. in place for those items because usually it can involve hiring um, additional equipment, maybe like a scissor lift for those trickier moves. All right. Can you ask a moving company, say you want to, you've got a really tight budget, which most first-time owners will have. So you're prepared to move most of the stuff, but you really just want, say, that one big item moved for you. Will, will most moving companies do that? To be honest, not a lot will especially during sort of the summer, you know, peak moving season. You're right, right. It really depends, but um, some of the small local carriers may offer that service. There are like, you know, specialist piano moving companies that cater to that kind of thing. But generally uh, during summer, most moving companies will, you know, usually move only full house lots. Because they're so busy. Yeah, exactly. Are there any things that it's, you're better off getting help with from a moving company or that you should just do yourself? Like what's the, at what point would you say it's, a, it's vital that you get a moving company involved? Yeah, when you're sort of moving a full house lot, you often find it's, it's much easier using a moving company. Otherwise, you're, in, you're involved with renting a truck. And for some smaller flat moves, you could probably get away with yourself and just doing it in car loads or even hiring you know, a van. A van for the day or something, right? Yeah. For the average house, we're talking like maybe a th- two to three bedroom house. And we're talking about first first time buyers, so they're not likely to have vast amounts of furniture and whatnot. What kind of price ranges are we looking at for a house move in that professionally done? You're probably looking somewhere around probably around three to four thousand dollars, depending on whether you're doing the packing yourself or not. If you do the packing yourself, you might save around eight hundred to a thousand dollars for an average three bedroom home. Right. But it's kind of I almost think it's worthwhile for that peace of mind what what what's already gonna be a stressful day. But I'm also quite lazy, so I think the idea of someone else carrying it all is, is also appealing. Yeah, definitely a hassle-free service, having the moving company come and do the packing. They provide all materials. We'd usually do that over two days. So you'd have the, your one day of the pre-pack, then the following day you'd have the uplift and delivery for a local move. Well, that's, that's a lot to think about. Um, great tips. Thanks very much, Matthew. No problem. So you bought a house. Now what? Join me for the next episode when we get our DIY gear on and give our homes some added value. I'm Kylie Klein-Nixon and this is First Run. Huge thanks to our guests Tracy Hemingway, Matthew Woodley and Thomas Biss. Shout out to producer Joe Haywood and Stuff Podcast Director Adam Dudding. Thanks also to our sponsors Rosine, New Zealand made paints for New Zealand made homes. You can find First Run on all the podcast platforms and we really want to hear how your house hunt is going. So drop me a line at homed at stuff.co.nz. Happy house hunting! Mm-hmm.